Hello, everyone. Welcome to one more React Roundup episode. I'll be your host today. My name is Lucas Rees, and in our panel, we have Thomas Eilat. Hello. Dave Sedia. Hey, everybody. And Leslie Cohn-Wine. Hey, y'all. Our guest for the day is Bruno Lorenzo. Hello. Nice pronunciation of my name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know if I can speak English properly, but my Portuguese is <laughs> really good. Do you ever wonder how your application gets put onto the devices that it runs on? Whether it's a mobile app being run on an iPhone or Android phone, or whether you're talking about a web app that gets deployed to servers or containers through something like Kubernetes, there's always something going on and understanding how all that stuff goes together can drastically help you figure out how to solve the problems and how to architecture your application better in order to take advantage of how things are set up. You should check out our new podcast, Adventures in DevOps. Adventures in DevOps is a sort of continuation of the Food Fight Show, but is a new podcast. You can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Okay, so Bruno, tell us a little bit more about your background. Okay, so I'm a front-end developer and I work at Chineta. And my background comes from multimedia. So I started with video, image, photography, and also web and animation. So I started with Flash. So that's why I enjoy animation so, so much. And currently I'm building websites and web apps and daily, uh, daily basis. Nice, that's great. And so you're, you've been working with React and that's what inspired you to create a React animation library? Yes, exactly. Um, I really like React and I think it simplifies things a lot. And since we define uh, here as a company and from other companies that I, I, I work, we define React as the main framework. I started creating some tools to simplify our, our job. So that's why uh, I decided to create React Morph to simplify the creation of animations. So for those that don't know, um... I, I just saw your, your Finland talk just a second ago. What is the, the React Morph thing? Because I've never seen anything exactly like that in web development before. So it might be a new concept to people. Can you kind of just yes. describe what that does? Yes, exactly. Like? So my goal was to simplify the creation of animations. And if we think about it, every time that we need to animate something, we have the state A and the state B. It's always like that. And, but when we want to create a web animation, it's super hard because there are a lot of things going on. We need to use maths to calculate the distance, position. Sometimes we need to calculate the width or the height of the element. Then there is a lot of states like disappears, where should I handle the state? Uh, so there's a lot of things going on. And But in the other hand, Animation is so cool. People used to love it. And when we have a, a nice website, the ones that earns uh, awards, they all have a lot of animation. So my goal was we need to simplify that. We need to create a, a way, a better way to create animations. And, and one specific type of animation that is super hard to create is when we have two different pages. Because if you have one page and then you want to animate something and create a transition, a smooth transition to another page, then we need to deal to different, two different pages, maybe two different components. Um, 
then maybe the style is not matching. So there's a lot of things going on. So my goal with React Morph was, what if we can simply tag the first component and the last component? And then magically, this package could create a transition for us. So that was my goal. And then I decided, but well, what is the best API to do this? And I started with the API without any code. So I started yes. doing, yeah, I started creating like, mm, maybe do I like this or no, this should be simpler. By the way, the first version I was using uh, render props, which was quite new. So I was, whoa, maybe this will solve our problem. And I started creating a, a version with render props, but wasn't the right approach. So then when hooks come up, I realized, oh yeah, this could simplify things a lot. And then this is the concept. I have an object that I will spread in my first element. And then I, I'm spreading... Like a, a JavaScript object. <laughs> like a JavaScript object. Okay. Like, that will have all the things it's necessary, all the bindings, things that will calculate the, the size of the element. And then we spread again the same object in a different element. And then in order to handle the state, another big topic in React world, I just leaving that to the on to any implementation. Basically, if the element enters the DOM, then I will trigger the animation. So basically that's the main concept. You have the state A, state B, you tag your first element, you tag the last element. And as soon as the element comes in into the view, it will morph. That's why it's called React Morph, because you will try to transform one element into the other. Of course, this is fake. There is no real morphing elements changing into another element. But basically, we are fading in, fading out to elements at the same time. And then it creates the illusion that we have a smooth transition. Yeah, I, I think that's where I was really excited about the way that you were doing it. Because like I've done kind of morphing animations before back in my, you know, my CSS only days. And it was always such a huge pain because you had to like change the way that I structure the HTML to allow it to have both states in the, with the same exact HTML, being able to you know switch class names on and off or whatever. But the way that you've engineered this is like it both implementations don't have to sh both you know state A and state B of the animation don't have to know about it at each other at all. Yes. that was that was really really interesting. If I'm not mistaken, you're using the flip animation technique right mm -hmm. under the hood. Yeah, I remember when mean? I saw it's a technique to, to create this type of animations. How, how does the flip animation technique work? So basically, mm -hmm. it's called flip because uh, it's inverting the, the order that we animate. But it's quite simple. So first, we need to calculate the elements, positions, and the size. And so always we have to have uh, two states, right? So we have the first state and then the last state. And we then invert, so we get the last state and we put on top of the initial state and then we play the animation. Yeah, and this is what React Morph is doing. So when we have one element in the page and then the other element comes in, I'm moving uh, just using um, GPU-accelerated props like transform and scale, I'm moving the last nice. position on top of the first position. 
And then I'm playing both together while one is fading in and the other is fading out. So it looks that they are transforming one to the other. And if they are very similar, let's say that we have a thumbnail image and then we have a, a bigger image, it will be like seamless. Or if we have a small text and then a bigger text, it will fool our brains. And that's mm -hmm. why I also like this topic about the brain perception because yes. if you just can fool and just can fool the user and if you can create a good illusion, that's our goal. It doesn't matter the, the technique that we use. The goal is to just get the right uh, illusion. And I love that the, the style of animations that this makes really, really easy is the same style of animation that both Apple and Google's material design are using a lot, which is the, you know, when you're transitioning between two screens, any elements that are semantically the same are kind of cross-fading and smooshing between each other. Like navigating a, a nested hierarchy in um, like an iOS app or whatever, when you transition between the pages, like the title at the top, the, the title morphs into the back button and then the back button morphs into the title and then again. So you could e very easily achieve that with React Morph. Exactly. And that's the, one of the main goals because you can have a button component being morphed to a heading component or heading element or even heading HTML tag. And this is only possible because I'm not really animating the original elements. Because if you have to animate the original elements, then you can have some issues because maybe that element has some specific styling, maybe it has already some translations and could be right. have some conflicts there. And there is another thing, because if we change, let's say you are using a router, and then you change from one page to the other, the elements will be uh, unmounted for the page. So Yeah, that, the that's like done, the killer feature. Because yeah. when you transition between pages, nothing you can do. You have no clue what is even on the next page. Exactly. So you don't know what is on the next page, and the previous page is gone, and you cannot animate it anymore. So another big trick of React Morph is that as soon that I, I start animating, I create a clone. I duplicate the element and I position exactly in the same position where the original is. So then the original element can be gone, can be lost, and then I will animate this clone. So that's the solution that I found to have both states at the same time. Oh, that's really cool. So is the clone actually like a React element clone or is it just like pretty much a snapshot of, of like what it looked like in the browser? Yeah, so that's a good question because that's maybe one of the issues of React Morph. I'm not using the React itself to like create the clone element from React, but I'm cloning the DOM element itself. Yeah, so, that seems that seems better actually because yeah, it would work for like any library. And then if you wanted to like port it to React Native, you wouldn't have to do some wacky stuff with in the React realm. You'd just re-implement to the same API. Yeah, but maybe that's the bigger issue because I'm relying on the DOM. So I'm duplicating DOM mm -hmm. elements and we don't have a DOM on React Native. Right. So by duplicating the DOM, it's easier because then you don't have any synthetic events. You don't need to care about that. I'm I'm using pointer events none. So it's not interfering with oh, your so smart. application. So you can animate that. But then it has this downside that maybe it's not so easy to port to React Native. 
because I'm relying a lot on the DOM itself. Yeah, I think that in, in React Native, you'd want to have a different implementation anyway, because you'd want to rely on the hardware acceleration of the, the actual UI view under the hood. Mm -hmm. I think that the core brilliance of it is nailing the API. So I really liked the way that you designed this API first. Like I, I got into test-driven development back in like the Ruby on Rails days, 2005 or whatever. And then after I moved into like JavaScript, I started doing like readme first development where I like, I wrote up documentation for an API that doesn't exist with some of using <laughs> examples that don't exist. And I'm like, wait, this API sucks. Let me change yeah. it. <laughs> That's a good idea. I've, I've like, I remember thinking about that a few years ago too. And I was like, wish driven development would be a great aim for this. <laughs> I think I ever read a post for it or anything, but it's yeah. Like, like write it the way you, you want to write the final code and then kind of yes. reverse engineer. I remember there was some blog article I read that was like, read me first development and like announcing this new thing. I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. This is interesting because it's like, if someone wrote this library to me, like how I would like it to, to be. So you start from there, right? Because like interfaces, they don't change that easily. We like to think on software yeah. that like, yeah. oh, we just change. We can change a little bit. No. An interface will be with you for years and years. I could even say it's going to stay with you forever. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Good tools are still hanging around. <laughs> That's it. It's just like really different. Yeah. And if you put some, some constraints, like it needs to be backwards compatible, you, you end up with JavaScript, have dot substring and dot substir, <laughs> which, are, <laughs> which are a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. And they're both yeah, there. Yeah, but my, my goal was simplify. Uh, I wanted to simplify a lot because I, I realized that when something is simple, then people start using it. Mm -hmm. And I want to have more animations on the web because it solves a lot of problems. It's not just amazing the user, that's also a good goal, but solves a lot of problems, even design problems. Uh, animation has, it's a powerful tool because so this kind of animation, when you transform one thing into another, let's say adding something to a card or you're moving from one page to the other, that's reduced the cognitive load because the user knows that, oh, this is going there. And this is like built into the brain already. And we don't need to explain. Uh, sometimes happens that you click something and if for some reason you look away or something, then you, you don't know what, what happened here. So the user can be lost. But if you add the right animations, you can solve a lot of problems. Yes, uh, I tried to find here a post I read about this uh, a while ago, but I could not find if, yeah, I will try to, to see if I post it later. I read an article about that, that uh, when we talk about U, UI and UX, sometimes we, we think about these states, static states, Right, and how are we going to communicate what's happening here? And this uh, article talk about these animations in terms of like they are telling the story to the user, even though there's nothing like particular in the UI. So, an example they had was like an email editor, something like that, that you could save a draft. So you have a, a button of drafts that, that that were saved. How do you communicate to the user that that button is going to show the draft? That's a really tough problem to solve. But if you click on save draft and the actual window like morphs into that button, you already explained everything. Your button doesn't need to, 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 to have much more now that 
you know, like the animation told a story to, to the user. Sometimes we think about animations as like flashy things, mm-hmm. not, no pun intended, but like things that are just there to make sparkles and they're actually not important. But I think that if they're well used, they can improve like and in, on mobile devices that we have smaller screens and we cannot put a lot of information in, in those pixels. Animation is is super important to to have a good user experience. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's the problem of change blindness when when something when there's like a flash in the screen and something's changed in between the flash and before and after. Just the human mind just can't pick up the the difference because in reality that never happens. Things don't just mm-hmm. suddenly appear yeah. in yeah. real life. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I really like this topic about how the brain and how we perceive animation because sometimes i can we can create an animation and looks good and then we can create another animation we are like "Mm, man i don't like this but we cannot really explain why it's just a feeling yeah Uh, yeah but if you try to dig a little bit more and I, i did some research in this matter and it's interesting that if you know some principles, then you can apply it into your animation. So uh, with React Morph, you can create easily this morph animation. But with great powers came great responsibility, right? So if we provide a tool to a user to create things easily, it's cool because then you can use and create new patterns and solve different problems. But also, we can give the tools to make it wrong. And if we, in a single animation, if we have a lot of things going in multiple directions, this could be worse than no animation. So, yeah, it's good to understand how the things work, how our brain perceives things. And like you said, in the real world, it's always good to compare to the real world because our brain is tied to this. So in real world, we have things that moves, we have physics, we have... Nothing is instantaneous, right? So it's always good to beforehand when you are planning the design of your application or website to see what, where can I use animation in a functional way? How can I use animation to solve my problems and help to simplify my user experience? Because that's the main goal at the end, create good apps or good websites. I think one of my favorite parts of your talk from React Finland was the slide where you were showing vectors and sort of yes. comparing it against some uh, animation examples, right? And so when you start to see vectors, right, directional movement happening in in multiple kind of uh, directions, I guess, it can confuse the eye, right? And that's where it starts to get overwhelming and, and you can't really follow, there's not like a clear purpose of the animation. That that was like a really nice, clear way to kind of show an animation that might work versus something that uh, starts to get confusing. Yes, because I, I made that mistake when I, I created the first version of React Morph. One of the examples, I have things going all the direction. <laughs> and it looks good, but you feel like, mm, I don't know what's happening here. And it's important to know what you are doing because this topic about the factors, if we create a, a too many directions or if we have a big parts of the screen being moved, this not only could be annoying, but can also have some people with the uh, c- could feel sick and 
my mother has that. Like if, if she, if there's a lot of movement on the screen, she gets physically unwell. Exactly. So it's a, a very important topic. And we as a developers, we have this responsibility. We don't want that someone start feeling sick just because. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, there's even a, a media feature now, right? And CSS, it's like prefers reduced motion. Exactly. Um, really? Eliminate yeah. that. Yeah. That's the first I've ever heard of that. How do you, what, tell me more. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially like just a CSS media feature that you can, uh, toggle on and off and you can basically say reduce any non-essential motion in your css you can say like if someone chose that just like do this different apply these different css rules it's a it's a good accessibility issue too that we don't have to open a pull request we don't hear (laughs) (laughs) disable react more if setting (laughs) so even people that has this condition they still like to see some animations because right. small but you have to be very careful with them. I yeah. like yeah, I like the one that you use where you just like animated the the icon between in between screens. Like there's a icon big in the the center and then it became small in the corner. Like I don't think that sort of thing has the same effect. Yeah, but some things that we we could have in mind is that animation that is really a no-no is when we have a big portion of the screen being moved. We should avoid that. And we should avoid big things, and it's always related to the screen, no matter if it's a small screen or a big screen, and the distance that uh, this thing does. So I think right now it's quite common sense that if you need to animate something, we don't need to animate from zero to 100. We can animate just to 80 to or 90 to 100, uh, ah. uh, because the animation looks better, but also solve that problem, because People that suffer of this condition, they can really feel sick if big portions of the screen is, is moving. Uh, another thing, so one thing is not avoid big portions of the screen. Another thing is of shortening the vectors. So avoid big distance and try to align all the vectors in one direction. So that also helps to reduce the cognitive load. And another thing is that we should avoid rotations. And this really, yeah, the explanation is quite simple uh, because the way that we work, our brain work, we we rotate our head like side to side, up, down, but we never rotate our head, right? And when we do like this, maybe we are in a boat or something. And when we are in a boat, we got sick, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That makes so much sense. You know, when you rotate your head, like your eyes keep everything else steady so if yeah. something is forcing everything to rotate without you yeah i just bobbled my head and now i feel unwell thanks a lot <laughs> so you can relate yeah <laughs> i've developed empathy <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's a big topic that we also need to consider and has these two effects we can help people with this uh condition and also make better animation more this pleasant is, to everyone this is yeah do you think we don't like do you think we we don't see a lot of this happening because tooling is is not that good? Like I don't think there's a good. I, I've never worked with like a good tool to communicate animation intention between designers and devs. And it's also even inside the the, the dev world, we have some options of uh, libraries now that do animation, but it's still not trivial. Maybe 
React to Morph is, is, is a really good option for this particular type of animation. But do you think this helped shaping how we deal with animation, like which is almost very immature way of dealing with this today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in my company, we, are, we have some task force that we are trying to improve that communication between devs and designers. We are trying to educate um, our designers and even the client, because sometimes the client, they say, oh, I don't want to pay that. If we have some time, uh, maybe we can add some animation because it's cool. But it's not that way. Uh, we need to understand why animation is important. When should we add to our project? project? When should we start thinking about animations? And then these kind of things, what kind of animation we should avoid? What kind of animations it's better for our user experience? So the same thing that we do for, like, let's say, colors, uh, typography, we should think in the same way for animations. And it's true. We need more tools. Right now, we have great design tools like Figma, Sketch. But then when it comes to animation, it's, uh, it's hard. There is no great tool. Now Figma released the plugin system. I saw some plugins that you can create animations inside Figma, which is great. But it's always like two different steps. You design your app and then, oh, let me animate this part. Yeah. Would be better to have a better tool that integrate everything. And then Frame even huh? design. <laughs> yeah, I tried Framer, but even Framer, it's the other way around. You need to code it first yeah. and then there. And then the designers, they need to use. But if it's something new that the designer is trying to test with the user, and maybe they need to do this, not the developer. So I think we are going the right direction. We have Framer. Now we have this plugin system. We have principle, like simple softwares that we yeah, can principles prototype. Nice. Yeah, because it's, it's simple. You can prototype something quite fast. So this yeah. is good. But it's always something a part of the main process and when or who should do this it's something that i didn't figure out yet it's a work in progress i i don't think there is a solution so yeah we used to use after effects our designers would go off in after effects uh, at the agency and then they'd come to us and then you'd build like a a working prototype and then you'd sit together right that was like the only way that you could kind of work together i guess uh, collaborate on what it was going to be like but I mean, that's, it's exhausting, right? It's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. At, at Facebook, there was a, a huge portion of the designers that were using Quartz Composer, and then they actually built their own kind of competitor to Quartz Composer called Facebook Origami that lets you design with gestures and animations in mind from the beginning. But it's just a, a completely different way of designing that, it hasn't really taken off. Yeah, that's almost like visual programming, that tool. I've played with it a little bit, and it's yeah. it's, it's tricky to wrap your head around. It is. I think that's it, part of the issue with animation in general is that it's it's kind of a paradigm shift or something. Like, you don't... I, I think it's similar to, you know, if you've played with something like Sketch or MS Paint or whatever, you can, like, draw boxes and drag them around, and then you're stuck in CSS, and you're like, okay, now how do I drag the boxes around? And that's just not how you think in CSS. And I think... Like animation is the same kind of thing where you think of it as like, oh, okay, when, you know, on the start trigger, I want to move this thing to a new position and it doesn't really work that way. And every tool kind of does it differently and they change, they change the mental model. And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky problem, I think. 
that's where morph is so useful because it's most of these tools and and doing it manually we've been kind of stuck thinking that we have to actually do it for real you know using the real elements but with morph you're faking it but faking it is really what you want yeah yeah it's true This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So... If you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Some tools uh, like After Effects... uh... They can do a lot, but maybe they do more that we can actually do on the web. So it's, it's hard to, to do with this. But maybe something that can help uh, to connect both ends. Uh, it's Maybe it's something that is quite popular now is the design system. So something that is helping both worlds, the development, the developer world and the design world is when you define a system, then everybody's following the same. So if you design... You find all your colors, your like typography beforehand, and then you just need to set the same system in your website, and then everything's more consistent. So we could do something similar with animations. We can define some durations, some easings, some custom functions, or we can define that, uh, let's say, these common patterns. And then we can just apply it in our code. So let's say we have a, a way to transition two elements. So let's say we are, we are using React Morph to transition one element to the other. By the way, uh, uh, React Morph is using a spring uh, with spring values. So if we define beforehand that this kind of movement has this and this and this attributes, then it's easier to, then even though they, we, you can still be using uh, principle, after effect, or whatever, we can still communicate in a common way. So maybe the solution could be on that direction. And yeah, we are trying to, to solve and try to find solutions regarding that as, as well. And yeah, we can see uh, some big companies doing that. IBM, they have a really nice uh, style guide online where they define all their system and they have also a motion section we have material design with the motion with yeah. some principles but yeah but this could be part of the way that we work together with designers a big part of it is just making it easier making it easier makes it less expensive making it less expensive makes it you know not a big deal so in, instead of getting punished for wasting a lot of time on animations people might actually get praised for for spending time a little bit of time on animations a lot of it is just the the expectations of the the job of changing the the expectations to start to to make it a a new expectation that there is going to be some animation. I think some of it also right is learning some of those kind of 
principles that Bruno, that you covered in your talk, understanding, right, how the brain is interpreting animation, what actually is useful to a user to see um, and is creating meaning and purpose as opposed to just, you know, a slick effect. But that's education, I think, on all of us and on, you know, on the industry. It's a, it's a, it's a big shift. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As soon as something is really easy, there will be like a lot of overuse. And like, <laughs> I, I just, I just can think of gel cities in the beginning of like when everybody yes. could, cool. like everybody had access to HTML and everything. And I was like, oh my God, everything had that marquee go with their name. <laughs> I'm playing MIDI. And, Everything was blinking. Every paragraph had a different font. Like as soon as it as soon as it gets like super super easy, I think there'll be a bunch of overuse. So yeah, it's on us. I, I rendered my GeoCity site in uh, 3D using Pavre. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> There's a whole generation that started on GeoCities and those things, right? Like animated GIFs was like my gem. I had probably one animated GIF for everything. Hey, GIFs are back, man. GIFs are back. Yeah. This yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but that's interesting because, like I said, people like animations. So they start using oh, it. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you think on mobile apps you have more of that culture? Like, I, I see it much more mature on, on, on apps. So a lot of people say, uh, oh, the experience in mobile apps is better than experience in in web. When I talk to to like people it's that are fact. not professionals, yeah, people that are not professionals, I say like, show me. And they and usually they're talking about animations. Like usually when I talk to people and say like, explain to me like, and this like, see, it's smooth, and then it goes here, and I was like, mm. so do yeah. do you think that? Is, is it easier? Like, I don't know. I don't program mobile apps. Is it, is it easier? Is it simpler? Or is it just like a culture thing? Yeah. So basically, it's a need. Because when we are using mobile apps, we are almost touching the digital world. And then our brain expects that when you touch the screen and you drag, that thing should move. If you move your finger faster, it's expected that that should move faster. It's a lot of more, more motion because it's a need. Because if you, let's say that if you want to drag something and that thing is not dragging and then when you release, that thing goes, that will feel super odd. So that's why from the beginning, I don't know, but maybe Apple engineers, when they designed the first iPhone, they realized, yeah, we need to have that in, into consideration. And, and the first iPhone, they put it there already. And even the technology, uh, they use a lot of the GPU for mobile. You can even use multiple threads and this kind of stuff. And yeah, on mobile apps, we have a better experience. But the API isn't that nice. Even though you can create fancy animations and Apple provides uh, a lot of tools already and they are good and they are super performant, the API isn't that great. But then when we come to the web, the performance isn't so good. So, and we don't have enough tools. And that was one of my motivations because I can see, I I could see that we have a lot of uh, cool experience on our mobile apps, but not on the web. And before like uh, the mobile revolution, we only use the mouse. And experience the web with the mouse is a completely different experience. 
because you click it and then something will happen. And then you go and you search for another thing, you click it and something will happen. But when we have a mobile website or a responsive website, you will touch the button, you'll drag something and it's much better to, to experience it. And then when we do this, we cannot use a normal transition. So we cannot use anim CSS animation with duration because you don't know when the user will release a finger, what is the velocity of that. So then yeah. you need to start using physics in order to create better experience, especially when you are dealing with a mobile device or a physical device. Yeah, so I hope and my one of my motivations with React Morph was that I want that more and more people can create and build better tools so we can start using it. And copying and trying to replicate what we have on the mobile apps, I think it's a good idea. At least we have some uh, something to, to follow and it works quite well. And when you use your, let's say, iPhone app and you're swiping and dragging, you're not really thinking about that that's an animation. That's a movement. That's you. That's you touching. That's physics. And a good animation is that. It's the animation that you can almost, you cannot notice, right? Right. So, yeah, I think we, sh we should learn a lot with uh, mobile, mm -hmm. mobile app development. Now I have another question that it's a little bit of a, a meta question to the podcast. You know, like React as a framework emphasizes a lot states, static states. So React is all about I have a state, I have another state, I have another state. I remember our talk here with Dave Corsid. He was talking about the state machines that you put a yeah, lot yeah. of emphasis on the transitions, right? So it seems to me that transitions are a, a more like natural way to, to, to deal with animations and React focus a lot on static states one after the other. So a question here, is React a framework that is not very animation friendly? Okay, so first of all, the state is a big topic regarding animation because you need time in order to have animation. So you need two states at least. So there is multiple ways to handle state. You can use Redux, you can use XState from David. You could you can use even the, the routing system could be a state because you're changing from one page to the other. And there is a lot of great solutions over there. So React has already that built in and has a lot of a lot of good package. So I think because of that, if we try to use the pre-existing solutions and then we try to implement and use that with our animation solutions, then yes, React is a great tool for that. And that's what makes uh, React Morph uh, a, a good package in, in my opinion, because it's not opinionated about how you will handle the state. You can handle the state wherever. Uh, however you want. So, and this API, by the way, I don't think it's even possible to do it with vanilla JavaScript or HTML because yeah. it's the way that React works. You have a if or you have a condition and when it's true, that element will be mounted, right? And if the route, it's the right one, the element will be mounted. 
but we don't have that concept with vanilla JavaScript or HTML. There is no concept of a DOM being mounted or an element being mounted into the DOM. So React is what makes React Morph possible. Maybe we can use something similar with Vue, probably, uh, because they also have a lifecycle system. But in fact, I believe that React simplifies this a lot and can help us to create better animations. I totally agree. And like having done a lot of stuff it just in CSS land alone, it, things get out of hand really quickly. The complexity just adds up really, really quickly. And React encapsulates all of the all of the difficulties of transitioning between states so you can reason on it. And it almost like React Morph is like the most React way of doing animation possible is like, here's the two states, here's how you morph between them, boom, done. It's yeah. all encapsulated into those separate pieces and you don't have to worry about the complexity of the details. Yeah, because creating a morph animation with CSS only would be super hard and mm. will be super specific to something because then you need to create keyframes and that keyframe should go to an element and then if you have two different elements, then you need to know the exact, the correct time to add that class and then remove that class. And if you add and remove at the same time, maybe the duration isn't over and then the animation will stop. So having the power of JavaScript helps a lot uh, and animating with JavaScript instead of just CSS class is also better and also allows us to use physics. So that's another big advantage because then you can use the velocity, movement, drag, or whatever, and uh, add it to the animation. And yeah, and I think React can help us a lot of, uh, on that topic. Yeah, it seems like animations in general, I guess, are kind of more of an imperative thing than a stateful declarative thing, right? So like, but maybe certain kinds of animations fit really well in, into the React paradigm. I think, I think like the transitioning one element from one thing to another or a bunch of elements from one state to another works perfectly. And it seems like React Morph handles that really well. I wonder about like for the more imperative stuff, like do you still need some kind of escape hatch or something? Like if you want to move multiple elements and stagger them or do something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, it's true. It, it didn't solve all the animation problems. So that's a good example, having a staggering elements and then you just want to make them appear in a sequence, you will need something uh, else to do this. Yeah. And maybe that's okay. I mean, maybe that's, you know, because React is like state works 90% of the time, but every now and then you need something that's that's imperative. That's like when this happens, trigger some other thing. And then you, for that, you've got use effect or whatever. Yeah. And a good thing about React Morph is that since you don't need to worry about any CSS prop, you can have, let's say, a red square on the top of the page, and then you have a bigger blue square on the bottom of the page. And if you want to animate that with uh, CSS, then you need to figure it out. First, you need to style the first element, and then you need to figure out what is the final position. Then you need to update the background from blue to red. Then you need to change the width or height or the scale, maybe. Then you need to touch in a, in a lot of properties. But with React Morph, it will be done automatically because it will put the two together and then it will 
transform one to the other. So it's even simpler because then you don't need to care about any CSS prop. You don't need to care about anything like that. If you want to make a ball move around the page, and I, I help some some friends to implement a solution like that, that while you're scrolling, uh, a ball was moving and was uh, stopping in different positions, with React Morph was super easy because they just put like five balls in the page in the correct position, and then they apply the same morph to the, all of them, and then they just need to show and hide the ball in the correct scroll position. So when one ball was visible, it magically goes there. And then when was the other was visible, it went there. Because React Morph is, has infinite states. It's state A to B, but if you appear another state, it will animate to that and to that and so on and so oh, on. Oh, yes, you can have a chain of them. That's cool. So it's yeah. not always A to B. It's it's like you can have like A, B, C, D, whatever. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I need to think about that. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah, so so it's it's pretty much like wherever that morph object or spread of props appears, you're just going to animate to that, wherever that happens to be. It's the old one, maybe it's the new one. Yeah, the only thing that we need to make sure is to have just one element at the same time on the page. So, And then it will animate to, to that. And <laughs> actually, this was an interesting side effect. I wasn't thinking about it, but the, the way that hooks works uh, make it possible because when the element with the, the spread props are mounted, I'm storing the current position. And then when another element is mounted, I'm looking to the previous position. So then I realize if I put another element there, it will look to the previous position, no matter what it was there. So it always creates this animation. And when I realized, I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> this works. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I love hooks. Magical. Yeah. What do we do with our hooks, man? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like if you've used um, the Keynote software on Mac, it's like like the PowerPoint for Mac. It's got this like magic transform. Magic move. Yeah, yeah, that thing is cool. So it's like you like make two slides and it will just figure out like where the elements move from one slide to the next. And that's kind of pretty much what React Morph is doing, right? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Move from one place That's to the other. next version of React Morph. It just knows. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's the only like next step from from that interface is like it just knows. Because <laughs> well, somebody Im implemented Magic Move in Framer, I wonder if it would be possible to like quickly re-implement those animations for real using React Morph. I'll have to think of that. Yeah, That'd be cool. Yeah, we just need a way to tag them. I don't know. Yeah, I can think about it. So another thing about React Motion, you, you, you have some, some dependencies on pop motion and you chose those those, those libraries only for the for the equation for the interpolations or are you using another yeah. animation under the hood, animation library under the hood? No, I, I initially I was using pop motion as a package. But then I'm just using uh, pop motion popcorn, which is mm. just utilities functions, things for interpolations, mm. uh, things like that. And another dependency is Wobble. It's a tiny a spring physics uh, package. So these are just two, uh, the two dependencies that I'm using. And the rest is everything is just JavaScript and yeah, React. Okay, nice. 
regarding dependencies, just one quick fun fact here. Like as I as I on another episode, I was working on a on a Java microservice now, and we needed to to add a third party dependency, and like from the front end world, it's like where's the npm install of this thing. And it's crazy. Like the whole the whole ecosystem of the, the microservices the, in the company here at Compass has, I don't know, maybe 20 different third-party dependencies. And I was like, oh my God. And in the front end is like, I have 20 every 30 minutes. <laughs> it's crazy how, it's crazy how these dependencies, things change from, from world to world. It's not that, it's not, not that common to use that many dependencies every everywhere. So when I saw in your package, Jason, that you only have two dependencies, not dev dependencies, actual dependencies, I was like, ah, this is nice. Mm. And you're barely using them. Yeah. So, this is good. Not populating our product. This this is a big thing now, right? We need to think about, I don't know, security or anything like that. Is, yeah. this, is this library going to steal my Bitcoins? <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy yeah, to it's think like about it. Thousand paper cuts problem where you've, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like up to every library maintainer to 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 do that because yeah, it spirals out of control without, without like any one person doing. It does. Yeah, it has a lot of crazy. responsibility now. Yeah, you look at like those modules things. that I fresh create React app. It's huge. Yes, it is. It does show the power of the ecosystem, though. I mean, remember before yeah. um, Node.js came out before CommonJS unified the package concept just like concatenating strings together <laughs> oh man yeah yeah definitely yeah. and i remember like i mean i worked on other languages and stuff the same kind of thing i guess java is a little better they have a package manager but you know, like, like the c world before i don't know if they have a package manager now but when i was playing with it they didn't and it was just like you know compile everything by hand you figure out the dependency tree yourself and compile them all have fun with that <laughs> it's like yeah it was it was terrible <laughs> But also, it motivated people to to like build everything themselves. So, like, <laughs> if you wanted, to and that's not a good thing in C. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. It's all trade off. Right. So, what do you all think right. about um, going to next? Now that Morph is taking over the world, what's your next opportunity? Are you going to solve like state management is already a nightmare? <laughs> Don't go there. But you've solved no. animations with Morph. What's your next challenge? No, no. It's, I don't think it's solved already i think we still need a lot of things to, to do on that matter and i think yeah because it's still hard to i think my biggest focus right now is trying to merge the design world with the development world yes i'm been experimenting a lot of different tools and i like to simplify things to people and to create better tools. And I'm also into this topic of design system. Uh, internally at Geneta, we are trying to create a, a good system that we can reuse uh, because it's so tedious when you have to start everything from scratch. Yes. So I want to focus on the good parts. So <laughs> I, want to, I don't want to design a button every time or, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to be in the world that you can just focus on the good parts and can create the fun things and the repetitive, boring stuff. 
that could be already done. So if we design a good system and we have a good system beforehand that we can reuse, then we can, okay, start from a good foundation. And then what can we do in order to make this different, to win an award, to impress our clients or, you know, this kind of stuff. And if we create the good foundations, then we can focus on that part. And this is true for, especially for animation, because animation usually is put it into the end of the line. If we have time, if we have budget, if the client wants, we can do this, but it shouldn't be like this. If we can say, hey, we have all the main features or the main repetitive tasks already implemented, then let's do this thing to make it really good, to, to make it shine, you know? And that's my focus right now. <laughs> Maybe it's too audacious, but I don't know. <laughs> nice. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Developers are people just like us. And a lot of times they have really, really interesting stories about how they got into a programming language, out of a programming language, how they got into programming in the first place. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have a degree in music or have some affinity for music, or maybe they have a degree in something else like theater, and then they wound up getting into programming for other reasons. I actually used to work with a whole team of people that all had law degrees that wrote code. It's just interesting to me how people have come along in their careers as developers. So we have a show for you. If you are into JavaScript, go check out my JavaScript story. That's at myjsstory.com. All right, so... I think now we can wrap up and go to, to picks. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So let's start the picks of, of this of this week with you, Dave. Do you have any picks for today? Um, sure. So I've got one dev-focused one that I saw yesterday on Hacker News called DivJoy. So it's, it's like a React project generator, divjoy.com. It looks pretty cool. So you you pretty much like you pick a UI component library and it pick a back-end authentication provider and it generates a whole project for you that does a lot of stuff out of the box and it seems like it's kind of early days they only have a couple of providers for each thing but it seems like they're probably going to build it out and it's it's impressive so it's more than just a generator it also lets you kind of visually create the app and like drag drag and drop stuff in like a component tree it's it's pretty cool check it out and then like once you get it all working you can export a project nice all right so leslie do you have any picks for today yeah, um, I love the entire A Book Apart book series, but I recently picked up uh, Resilient Management by, I think, Laura Hogan, uh, who's phenomenal. Um, I've watched a couple of talks of hers. Uh, and I think even if you're not a manager or interested in going into management, it, it gives you some insight into how managers think uh, and how to interact. And obviously, A Book Apart, it's usually tech books, right? So this is sort of geared towards folks in our industry. So Highly recommend. I'm sort of in the middle of it, so it's a it's a preemptive pick, but I'm enjoying it so far. And then in the world of pop culture, recently checked out Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm a little late to the Ooh. game on that one. It was so good. Yeah, We're talking so about good. animation. Um, <laughs> really, really phenomenal movie. Well done. Uh, recommend it. Yeah, that was that was an interesting movie. The visuals are great. All right, so Thomas, do you have your pick for the week? What I've been reading lately is like old Carl Jung psychology books. Today or yesterday I was reading uh, Lectures on Jung's Typology by Mary Louise von Franz and James Hillman. Very interesting to kind of look at the, the history of, 
of personality psychology all the way back to its its origins and kind of, I'm on my YouTube channel I'm kind of taking the the latest and greatest understanding of all of this nerd personality stuff and and seeing how we can use it for to kind of optimize our personal performance and take ourselves to the next level instead of focusing so much on you know personality problems just start with well I'm a fine and how can I get awesomer instead <laughs> <laughs> amazing all right so my pick for for the week is from time to time I try to 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 keep my mind sharp I try to read something that I'm barely understanding so I always try to read something that is like a little bit too hard for me to understand and now I have the perfect PDF from a Santa Fe professor called Simon Dedeo, and it's called Information Theory for Intelligent People. It's really interesting if you want to know a little, bit more, <laughs> a little bit more information theory. And there was one, one uh, comment on Hacker News that was really on point. Usually, Hacker News, they have these links, and it's like a tutorial on information theory or like probability 101. And you start reading, and on the second paragraph, you're, you're like, I have no idea what's happening here. It's like, so usually those primer tutorials are, they, they say they're like the beginning of a, a really complex subject, but they get complex from the first moment. And this is named like four intelligent people. And it's, you can actually like read and understand at least the first half. The second half is really hard to me. So this is my pick for, for, <laughs> this is my pick for the week. And Bruno, do you have any picks for us? Yes, I would recommend the FramerX and documentation regarding animation. If you check the API, they did a great job to simplify and they have really nice components. And if you check the Matt Perry uh, GitHub um, Twitter account, he's sharing a lot. How can you use FramerX uh, animations components in production? Even without FramerX, you can use it which is super cool. And he's always sharing a lot of uh, nice examples and it's using hooks. So I would recommend that. That's nice. All right. So this is the end of this week's episode. Bruno, thank you very much. It was really inspiring. The library is amazing. Everybody go watch the React Finland talk and see you all next week. Bye-bye. See you. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>